Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. This week finds us halfway through our series entitled Resurrecting Church. In a time of division, both then and now, this New Testament book of Ephesians is both a word of direction for and an incredible message of incredible hope for the church. Chapters one and three, which we've just walked through, are such an inspiring exploration of who God is, who Jesus is, the, the wellspring, the head of the church, both the source of our life and our lead. Anytime I find myself just in need of that proverbial shot in the arm to get some spiritual truth that both encourages and strengthens me, I head to Ephesians 1 through 3. It's been that way for a couple of decades. It's just one of my go-to areas in Scripture. I'd like to review with you for a little bit some of Paul's statements that we found in those first three chapters. And if I could say this, I'd, I'd like to challenge you, uh, ask you, or to use Paul's word to actually beg you, church, to keep reviewing these first three chapters in Ephesians. Here's a short review. Even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself to, by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. And then from those two powerful prayers we find in this book out of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, and if you've missed John's sermons on those two particular passages, visit our website. I encourage you to catch up on those. It will be time well spent. Here's some passages from that first prayer, some sentences from the first prayer. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to us who he has called. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. It is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. And then from that second prayer in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I resonate with a description of Ephesians. It, it goes like this. It is pure music. What we read here is truth that sings, doctrine set to music. Those first three chapters were actually want to just make me dance with abandon. Don't worry, I won't. Don't anybody turn the channel. 
But really, don't you just feel the pulse, the, the incredibleness, the lavishness of the promises and the truths that are laid out in those three chapters? And it is those three chapters that nurture us, prepare us, and inspire us for what the next three chapters are going to call us to live out. Paul now pivots in this letter. He's helped the readers, he's helped believers through the centuries get this incredibly huge picture of who God is. Helps us gain some understanding. Even if we can't understand it all, we, the door is open that we might begin to see the wealth and the power and the infinite love that we have as God's children. And now he directs our attention to the living out of these truths as the body of Christ. I invite you to roll, uh, to open up or scroll down to Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. Ron Goldberg, the chair of our elder board, is going to read our passage of scripture this morning, which seems fitting. Ron. Okay, a reading from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of the Lord. Healthy, growing, and full of love. Isn't that a great description of the church? And wouldn't it be great 
if the church was described that way, if New Hope was described that way, if somebody asked someone in our neighborhood, hey, you know, what really, what is that church like down on the corner? And someone could say, well, I don't know everything about them yet, but they seem healthy. They're kind, they're welcoming, they're growing. They seem open to learning and hearing other perspectives. They're full of love because we see how they engage and interact and serve in our community consistently, healthy and growing and full of love. If you notice back at the beginning, this chapter starts off with the word, therefore. You probably are already aware that anytime you see that word or you hear that word, what it means is what the writer is about to say is predicated on everything they've already said. So in other words, because of everything that Paul has said up to this point, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we have forgiveness and redemption through God's great kindness and incredible grace, because we have inherited, uh, we have an inheritance sealed with the Holy Spirit, because we're no longer strangers, foreigners, but citizens and saints in God's kingdom, because of all of that, therefore, lead a life worthy of your calling. Well, if you're wondering, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to live a life worthy of God's call? You're in luck, because Paul's just going to tell us exactly what that looks like. In the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, where nothing looks the way we expect it to look, in that world where the, the rabbi, the teacher, God, bends down, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins to wash dirty feet, living worthy of our call does not mean that uh, it's not, it doesn't look like elitism. It doesn't look like privilege. But instead, walking worthy looks like humility and gentleness and patience with people's faults. It's so easy to think that I'm a a patient person until I run up against somebody's faults. When I'm by myself, when I'm I'm with the word and, and with Jesus in the morning, I can feel so holy. I feel like, you know, things are right with the world and things are right with me. And then my husband walks in the room and he brings up some point of conflict or I'm at church and I'm walking in the door and I meet some challenging scenario, I just got to tell you that humility, gentleness, and patience aren't always the things that rise to the top. Paul says walking worthy looks like making every effort. Oh, oh, there's, there's work involved in community. And that work revolves around keeping ourselves united and bound together with peace. Make every effort. One of the things that impressed me the most about New Hope's leadership as I began to work with them is their every effort to live out of their stated values with one another. I don't know who decided on these. I'm sure that John uh, led this effort, but the commitment that they made as a staff is to interact with each other through joy and humility vulnerability, collaboration, creativity, and excellence. Eugene Peterson calls this practicing resurrection. In other words, 
putting into practice, walking out the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, practicing what we believe. What Paul will talk about in these next three chapters is exactly that. What does it look like to practice resurrection? I want to offer some insight into the word worthy, as in that statement, lead a life worthy of your calling. I always assumed growing up the church that it had something to do with value, you know, that our value could be, that we could be called worthy if we're living right or not worthy, but that's really not what it means. This is compliments of Eugene Peterson's study in the Greek, not my own, but I thought it was so helpful, so let me share a little bit about it. The Greek word that we translate worthy is the word axios, and there's a, there's a word picture here which, if you can get it in your mind, is helpful, and it's important because this is the concept upon which the whole letter of Ephesians revolves. It's like its axis point. An axios is a set of balancing scales, you know, one of those with the cross, with a, a post and a cross beam, and then out to the side um, are these pans that are suspended on the each end of the cross beam. I think we've got a picture to show you there. In one of the plans, this is how this works, in, in, in one of the pans, you place something that you already know the weight of, let's say a pound of flour. And then you take what is unknown, say a container of sugar, and you, you place it in the other pan and it goes up or it goes down until, until you just add enough of the other sugar to make it, um, to make it even. So it's kind of like those scales that you get on in the doctor's office, you know, the kind of scale that it's got that post and it's got that clunky little metal thing that goes back and forth. Is anybody else stressed out by this picture? Yeah, I am too. Let's go back to the original picture. So when, when the pans on this one balance out evenly, then you know you have one pound of sugar, one pound of flour. The two items, flour and sugar, are said to be worthy. They're in, in tandem. They're equal. They're in balance. And this is what Paul begs the church, the body, the family, to make worthy Two things, two things to bring into balance, God's calling and our living out of that calling. When God's call and the way we actually live are in balance, we are then healthy, growing, and full of love. So we have this calling to live worthy, but, but please note that the call does not calm uh, does not come from, say, John or from the strategic leadership team. It doesn't even come from the board of elders. But this is actually a call from God. And who is doing the ask always matters, doesn't it? As I was walking, or just beginning to think about this sermon and just beginning to prepare, I was watching a friend, uh, praying with a friend about a new calling that she had received to take on a new role. And I just got to tell you, it would not have been much of a struggle at all. It would have been a pretty easy, yeah, thanks, but no thanks assignment if it weren't for the respect and the caliber of those asking. 
The call on the church is not even from Paul. It's not from Peter. It's not from the apostles, even though that would have been something to take note of and to pay attention to because of their reputation. But no, Paul says this is a call straight from God, from, the, from our creator, our savior, our redeemer, the one who feels, fills the universe with his presence and says, you are my body on earth. You are my plan. You are my ambassadors. As John has said repeatedly since the beginning of this series, and actually I think since the moment I met him, he has just repeated and repeated, God has no plan B. It is the church that God has called. Jesus said, by your lives, and specifically said, by your love for each other, the world will know that you are mine. The world will know that you are mine and that God, has the Father, has sent me to earth. Is that the conclusion the world is making today as they observe the church? That's the question. Is that the conclusion the world is making today? The Bible is so honest at how God's people, how often God's people lose the worthiness of God's call, that access between God's call and the way we live out life. It was out of balance when Adam and Eve believed those faulty half-truths, the, the fake news, if you would, and out of that fake news went against God's call, out of balance. But here's what I want us to hear. God kept calling. He immediately began the process of getting them back into relationship, back into a living space that would be worthy of his call on their lives, walking in balance, step in step, just uh, within step of, of what he had called them to do. When God called Abraham and then Moses, it required faith to step out into that call. Abraham to step out and leave his homeland. Moses to go back to his homeland. And sometimes going back home is way harder than stepping out. And when they stepped out, it began a long, winding, crazy journey. God made promises to them. He foretold some of the outcomes that he foresaw that they would become a great nation. Moses would deliver people from slavery, entering the promised land at some point. But really, at the beginning, those guys had absolutely no idea what all that would mean, what all would be involved, what would be required of them. But in faith and obedience, they stepped into what God was calling them to be and to do. We know that our heroes of the faith didn't always remain worthy of God's call. The Bible doesn't paint that false picture. It does paint a picture of a God who walks alongside people of faith in the messy middle of life with the call to be his people and helps them time and time again get back in balance with who he has called them to be. Jesus on the shores of Galilee began to call his disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John. I don't know how many of you are watching uh, this, the production, the, Sh the Chosen. I love it. I'm loving watching the disciples' personalities come to life on screen. I, I recommend it. And Jesus kept calling until there were 12 in that close, intimate circle. And those 12 had no idea when they stepped into the call what the next three years was going to look like in their lives. 
If this last year has taught us anything, we have no idea what the next three years are going to hold as we walk out God's call. But the disciples stepped into the journey, walking the dusty roads of Galilee, listening and obeying, questioning, jockeying for position, and Jesus teaching them each step of the way. He kept calling them, pulling them closer and calling them to something higher and something deeper. And he called these guys not to positions of power, which they thought they were going to have. And as John reminded us last year or last week, where, where does the church's power come from? Where do we get the power? Not from position, but from being on our knees. And Jesus called his disciples to kneel, both in prayer and in service to the world and to each other. He also called them to take up their cross, that symbol of death, and follow him. He called them to a place that would begin to produce health and growth, that they might become full of love and maturity, worthy of God's call on their lives. God's call on our lives is personal, but it is also interpersonal. This is a letter to a church, a faith community, not to just a bunch of individuals. And the life in which we grow into maturity in our faith is always community-based. It's God's way. To describe the church as a body that functions interdependently was brilliant. You may be a great hand, but if you are disconnected from the arm, you are pretty useless right? Unless, of course, you're asked to, to serve in a horror movie, then you might find a place. But if you're disconnected from the arm, you're useless. Or perhaps you've been given the gift of speech. But if the tongue is disconnected from a changed heart and a sanctified mind, which I'm not going to lie, that seems to be readily on display today, it's just not a pretty picture. It's not a healthy body when parts function independently of the other parts. When someone has a spinal injury or a brain injury that can no longer work in tandem with the organs of the body or with the limbs, we recognize it as broken. COVID has fractured the body in many ways. It's separated us from each other, given opportunity for the enemy to sow division and as we witness God in the Old Testament, as, as we witness Jesus do with his disciples, God continues to be faithful to his call on his people and faithfulness to bring us back into balance with his calling, to walk worthy, in step with God's calling. We will not get worthy again in balance if we do not exercise what Paul is asking us to exercise in this passage, humility and gentleness and patience with each other's faults, making every effort, oh, there's that word, that work word again, making every effort to live in the space with each other in, in peace and in unity. When we look at verses 7 through 11, we look at the fact that Jesus, after descending on earth to be with us, to walk with us, to give his life for us, he ascended into heaven 
filling the entire universe with himself and generously, or as chapter one calls it, lavishly gave out gifts to the church. There are, I, I think I've read this, that there are 20 lists of, or 20 gifts listed in the New Testament. And, but right here in this place in Ephesians, Paul mentions the leadership gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they have a specific responsibility to the church, to the body of Christ. And that is to equip God's people to do the work of God. In other words, we know this, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Church is not a spectator sport. Spiritual couch potato just isn't a thing. It's not listed in any of the 20 gift sets that Jesus handed out. And we all have a gift. You know, one of the best ways to discover your spiritual gift is it's not really through a spiritual gift test. They're, those have their place, don't get me wrong, and, and those can serve as well. But, but honestly, just stepping in and getting active, simply serving and getting involved, your gifts are going to be recognized. Your gifts are going to be discerned through the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ and within yourself. My husband and Fred and I got married in our 30s. And I had been on staff at Tiger Church of God uh, for about six years, and Fred was living up in Seattle, the Edmonds area, working with Youth for Christ. And so when we got married, I moved up there. It was the first time in nine years I had to walk into a church, not on staff, didn't know anybody, nobody knew my name, nobody knew my gift set, and it was so good for me to be reminded how intimidating it is, how daunting it is to step into a place where everybody else knows each other, had their place, and I had to figure out, oh, wow, how do, how do I fit here? What am I going to do? Here's a little fun uh, side note. Chelsea Hostetler, who's our, our worship pastor, her parents back in their 20s were in that same church as we were, and they were some of the kindest, most welcoming of the bunch, which I would say to the church, that matters, especially to new people. Be welcoming and friendly. I was grateful. I would say to all of us, if you're new to New Hope, and in some ways I guess we're all new here because we're the new New Hope. Maybe we're all wondering a little bit, wow, where, where do I fit in now? After the Edmonds experience, for me, I've sure had a lot more compassion on the new kid in the block, no matter what their age. In reality, and I think that's always the best place to live in reality, it's going to take us a time after COVID. It's going to take us some time after moving out of a building, after walking into a brand new place or welcoming in a whole bunch of strangers into a place before we begin to function well and in tandem as a healthy local representation of Christ's body. But we're gonna get there. You know how I know that? Because God is faithful. He always brings back into balance and helps us function in a healthy way. So I know we're gonna get there, don't give up. Those entrusted to lead New Hope take their responsibility seriously. There's actually a lot of hard work going on behind the scenes to equip New Hope to be a healthy, growing community, doing God's work once again. And don't get me wrong, 
God's work never stopped during COVID. I think our, our merger is testimony of that. The church didn't cease to exist, but being separated for that long, disembodied, some of our muscles may have been atrophied. It is as we start exercising our gifts again that we will begin to regain strength and momentum. As more of us are coming back to in-person gatherings and seeing each other face-to-face, we're eager to see what does God have in store for us in this new season. And I would say, what does God have in store for us as a church online as well? We want to see you here, but we also recognize and think of you and pray for you when you're the church online as well. The Board of Elders recently went on retreat, and last week the strategic leadership team went on retreat. Both of these leadership groups working through how are we going to be, who are we called to be as the church? In other words, how do we walk worthy of God's call on the body of Christ. We don't want to be sickly. We don't want to be anemic. We don't want to be rife with division, but we want to be one that is growing, that is healthy, growing, and full of love. I have to tell you that it's the leadership's belief that God is going to ask us to do some pretty heavy lifting in the world going forward. And could I remind us that church is not 9, 15, and 11 on Sundays. That's when the church gathers. That's when the church comes together for worship and teaching and inspiration. And I'm so glad for that. But the church is actually living and breathing representation of Christ on the earth. What we do here when or online or in the building, that's important when we gather. But it's also important what we are doing when we were in the world when we're just walking Monday through Sunday, Monday through Saturday, among our families and among our friends, our communities, and our neighborhoods. As our leaders equip us to do the work of God, Paul says in verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, healthy, growing, and full of love. In the coming weeks and months, we're going to call you to step in. We're going to call you to begin to exercise your volunteer muscles again in places that the church needs you as a gathered church and also in the community. Maybe you are ready today. Don't. So let me say that. Maybe you're just sitting here this morning or out here online and you're thinking, I'm ready now. Do I have to wait for a formal calling? Absolutely not. Just get a hold of a staff person and say, "I, I want to serve. Where could that be? I know Leroy needs uh, to rebuild uh, kids' community volunteers. Emily and I are looking for people to volunteer in the justice areas. We work with our city, preparing and working alongside God to make wrongs right. I want to make you aware of one that we've been uh, recently invited to step into. The city, I spoke about living in reality, speaking in reality. The city right now is a mess. There is trash and garbage in so many areas of our city, And the city has put out a call to the churches, many other groups too, but the faith community, they said, would you walk alongside us and would you help us? So on June 26th, the faith community will be doing a a cleanup of our southeast area. We're actually serving as one of the 10 drop sites in the city for that day. 
Trash pickup, not your thing, not your gift set. Well, guess what? It's not really about trash. It's about showing the community that we care about, the space that we share with them. It's about building relationship and building bridges. Verse 16 actually tells us that as each of us begin to work and do our, our work together, well, let's just look at the verse. Here's the verse. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Church, could we commit today to pursue walking worthy in balance with God's call? What does that look like specifically for you? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to help you discern that? Perhaps it looks like kneeling more often, not just physically, but, but attitudinally, to kneel and not insist that things go a certain way. In other words, in humility. Maybe it looks like living according to a set of values that the scriptures have put forth about interpersonal relationships and interactions. Maybe it looks like, well, let the Holy Spirit fill in the blank. Let's pray together. Our loving God, thank you for being the faithful one in this relationship. We do get off kilter. We get off balance. We're so encouraged to know that you're on it. You're going to bring us back into balance. You're going to help us live out an equal measure in balance, in step with who you've called us to be. And we just trust that you're going to do that with new hope, that you're going to help us regain our muscles, our spiritual fervor, and uh, work, do the work that you've called us to do, and do it with great joy and great inspiration. We thank you for your word and how powerfully it affects our lives we thank you for each other because we powerfully affect each other's lives too. Make us all that you want us to be, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.